0: Oh, Wasn't that singing or rejoicing? It was a quiet joy, I'm telling you, and I am so thankful for the, uh, the extra choir that we had up here today. I like that. Maybe we'll have more next week. Would that be good? Usually on uh, Christmas, especially Christmas Day, we've got to really make it special. Yes, we are going to worship on that day. Why wouldn't we? There are going to be churches canceling. Uh, worship on Christmas Day and I'm going why so it's like a high holy day to me so anyway um, we always kind of have our musical that we do which is a lot of songs and uh, reading between uh, the songs and uh, so uh, be ready for that bring your voices and uh, bring your joy with you because that's our way of uh I think saying thank you to the Lord for the whole year Amen. of all that he's done for us. So what a joy it is at this time of the year. I really enjoyed that today, folks. I can't think of anything better to do, can you? I mean, this is the soon bonum when God's people come together and come in agreement uh, because of his word and sing those lyrics all to him. So uh, it almost seems like I ought to do a Christmas message here. But I think I'll do that next week. We always do that. And I'm trying to come up with something different, as I always do every year. And you really can't come up with anything different. It's the same story. But in the way that we do it uh, is maybe sometimes slightly uh, different. Sometimes we have taken songs, uh, a song, and uh, kind of diced it up a little bit see what all it was saying in, in its theology and it's rather incredible so we might do something like that I think uh, I've done this for like I don't know 37 years or so and trying to come up with different things about Christmas I know every pastor struggles with it I, I hear it all the time and uh, whether it be Sproul or MacArthur I'm always trying to get something different kind of like what, uh, what they've done but the thing is we've we've said it how can you change it? You don't want to say anything different, but yet to bring on some light at the same time. I was listening to Alistair Begg this morning, he was saying the same thing, or at least uh, his radio show, was, as he was trying to come up with something that had a lot of depth, but yet at the same time to be kept as simple as it can be, because that is the gospel, and that every child, uh, woman, man, can understand what that is all about. So, we move on in Romans 11. We have come to a very important prophecy. The prophecy is the title that we have today, if you're looking at your outlines there. Um, As we've been studying through Romans 11, we move further on, we're getting pretty well near the end of that section that includes chapter 9 through 11. This prophecy is about the future of Israel. Not the past, the present, but the future. And Paul gets to proclaim this as he backs up Old Testament prophecy, yet it's a mystery. He's now revealing, and we have to come to the conclusion that God is certainly not finished with the nation of Israel. Would you agree? Of course, that is stressed all the way through Romans 9, 10, and 11, What an apex plateau that we have now reached in this section. As we come to this text today, it's the apex. We've been on a journey and we've been heading up to this mountaintop. And it's the summation of his argument that God is not done with Israel. He is not finished. He pronounces that God has always had a plan for Israel He brought them as a nation who were not a people and brought them to be his chosen ones. And we know that they revolted and rebelled against him for centuries. And so finally, it was like he abandoned them for a while and went to the Gentiles, which he's still doing as a whole, and then... He will complete His promises for the nation of Israel. That's what we've been reading and studying all throughout this section that we've been. And He will draw Israel back to Him. All Israel will be saved. It's a glorious plan, isn't it? And that's what it's about. And you can say, well, you know what? Israel should have been done. God should have said, okay, that's it. That's 70 times 7 and I'm not going to forgive you and there will never be another nation, Israel, ever again. Now, we would be hard pressed to see that in any text in the Bible. But there are people that would say that and they don't have anything to stand on. But the thing is, we could say, yeah, it's because Israel didn't deserve anything more from God because of all the chances they had. They don't deserve an ultimate redemption. Who does? None of us do. And we've demonstrated it day after day because we come short of God's glory ourselves. We too fail and stumble and fall. The thing is, God's promises to us, we believe. And what is at stake when people challenge him and say that, yes, God is done now with them and now it's all the church. And what is challenged is his very nature. His very character, his very being is challenged in this, his promises. His integrity is challenged when people say that. And I'm saying, man, they don't know much about God. They certainly have not read the Old Testament. They certainly have not read Romans. And if they have, they've been totally blinded And to read that and not know what it means. God is faithful to His covenant. We as Gentiles marvel at God at this plan that He has to do what He does with us and then also to uh, abandon a nation Because they abandon him and then go back to them. Just like in the book of Hosea. What is that about? What's Hosea about? He goes back to his wife who was a harlot, a prostitute, and took her. We marvel at God. You know, we have great comfort and assurance because of what he's going to do with Israel. Because if he abandoned them forever then what would that say to us? Gentiles have been brought into the tree. Well, it would say we too could be cast out. And that's what our text was last week. <laughs> don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited, Gentile Christian. Because this is why. God has a much greater, bigger plan than you can ever imagine. We have great comfort and assurance because if He that Israel in the ultimate... Even despite all the things that they did and abandoning him, he will always be faithful to us too because he has done something great to Israel. If he didn't keep his promises to Israel, then why would we have any reason to trust God in the promises that he gave to us, right? Let me go back to this. It is all about His glory. It is all about that. It's all about His character. It's all about His integrity. You see, the goal of everything that happens in our big, wide, deep universe is the glory of God. Everything is about the glory of God. And the reason that He set out to redeem Gentiles and Jews was about His glory. It wasn't about salvation. It was a means to His ultimate purpose. What a plan that is, isn't it? It's a mystery. It's great, it's wonderful. And bringing in the nation of Israel back into the fold, that is an amazing thing, but it's only the means to the glory of God, to saving Gentiles in this plan. It's only the means to His glory. Everything leads to God's glory. So give glory to God. We hear that often. What does it mean? Well, we can't add anything to God's attributes. They're already there. It's not that He's lacking any He really needs to be pumped up by our encouragement to Him see, He's in a joyous state always. He's never lacking in anything. He doesn't need our glory. But we need to recognize His glory. Because it's true. And God is true. So if He's true, then He's the only one who deserves the glory, doesn't He? So we are to recognize His intrinsic worth So when we glorify God, it isn't that we're adding to His great character. It's already there. It's that we are recognizing His character, His nature. We're recognizing His glory, the summation. We're recognizing His great holiness. What a wonderful plan. Our Lord has done. And He has revealed very much to us He used Israel to make a revelation of Himself through the Word of God. And we were not a people. And now we are a people. Israel was a people chosen by God and then they were a people not a people of His. And then to bring them back in is to make them bring glory to Him. What a plan that is. The the whole idea to bring back the nation of Israel, to bring them back and then to say all Israel will be saved. This is in the future. What does that mean? All Israel will be saved. This is what we're going to be discussing today. We're going to look at this prophecy that Paul makes. It is grand. It is deep. And it is very familiar, especially as you've sat here for many, many weeks going through Romans 9, 10, 11, and almost sounds like repetition, but God wants us to get this theology down. He wants the whole church to get it down. So let's joyously take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 11, and verse 25 through 29, all Israel will be saved. Paul says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery (coughs) so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so, all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the Father's. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Let's pray. Great Holy God, what a mystery has been solved. It's baffling to people, baffling to the church today, baffling to the Jew. But yet, Lord, you have revealed this to us, and it's not baffling to us, it's straightforward. It's right up front, and it's because you've opened our eyes to truth. And it's because we had a desire to open our eyes to the truth. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the desire to know what the truth is. It's all you, but yet at the same time, it's us pursuing you to understand a bit more of your grand plan. Your glory is seen. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go marvelous text. I love this text. It's one of the great backups ever for what about Israel? What about it? I've been saying all along there are people in the church and there are very many who would say absolutely God is done with Israel and how you can be a a true follower of Christ. I don't know, but I'm not saying you can't be saved and and yet reject this, but I tell you that... one would have to get off their high horse and let God just teach them this precious truth I know it's automatic to us I would say for most of us He says I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery and we're going to key on that word mystery for a moment and then back up to a couple of key words Uh, Paul has a lot of joy right here he has great joy. He can't wait to burst out with this precious truth. Paul is excited. you ever been excited about learning the truth of God and wanting to share it with somebody who would like to hear that? You know what? He's ready to present the single most hopeful truth that he had carried in his heart. In this section that he's dealing with, it has been a mystery. And we'll learn what that mystery is for a moment, in a moment. Paul certainly wants the Gentile to catch this. Catch the issue, the problem, and how it's going to be solved by God. And to many of the prideful Gentiles, he's saying, I want you to know this. I want you to be so certain what God is going to do with the nation of Israel. And with all the political uh, vernacular that is uh, in society today uh, against Israel, we can say we know what's going to happen with Israel. Maybe not every little detail that leads up to it, but we can be as bold to say I know exactly what God has planned as far as what's going to happen to them as a nation. It's because He didn't give me a little special revelation, He gave it to Paul and He gave it to other prophets, and it's right here before our eyes. And that's tremendous, isn't it? Uh, he's been building up an argument. Building it up. Building it up. And finally he hits the climax of it all. In these three chapters, it's like an explosion. It's like a firework display and you get to the grand finale. And we're getting ready to wrap all this up. And the best part is verse 33 through 36. And that's where we're really heading. Uh, the word... Mystery is, in the Greek, mysterion, it sounds like mystery doesn't, it's very close to our English word, a lot of the spelling is the same. Mysterion simply means this in the Greek and the way that Paul is using it in his context and it means something that was hidden, concealed before, it was a mystery and is now revealed. It's like watching a mystery and you're wondering what it is and then all of a sudden at the very end, you get it. You get that mystery. If it's a well-written mystery, uh, you thought you had it, and then you go, oh, no, that's not it either. Hmm. Oh, I've got it. It's like this. And no, that's not it either. And then you get to the conclusion. You go, that guy wrote that very well because I had no idea that's where it was going. But now you know that's mystery. That's what Paul is using here, and if we go to Romans sixteen twenty five, you're in Romans eleven already. You will get the definition. You can say, "How do I know, Dennis, that musterion is that?" Well, uh, Paul defines it right here in Scripture. It's very simple, as he defines it. He's doing a benediction at the end of all of the Roman epistle. He says, not of him who's able to establish you. He's able. He's powerful enough, and he does it according to my gospel. The good news and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Why we preach here every week? Because that is what we're called to do. You'd say, preaching? Do we really have to have preaching? Couldn't we just have some kind of a. Maybe just singing and maybe some kind of a play. And I'd say, why do we always have to have preaching? Couldn't we just get around in a little circle and just share together? No. Because God did not plan worship to be that way. That would be wrong. It would be unbiblical. We preach because that's what it is about. It means to proclaim forth God's Word. It's proclaiming Jesus Christ. Now, watch this. According to the revelation... What is that? Unveiling, apocalypsis, you ever heard of that? Apocalypse, the Apocalypse of John, Revelation, right? Revelation means simply to reveal something that was concealed, the revelation of the mystery, something that was concealed in Old Testament time, which has been kept secret for long ages past. "...but now is manifested, and by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the Eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith." The mystery has been unveiled. It's been released for you to know. So anytime you see mystery, and you see it quite frequently, Paul uses that word throughout the New Testament. When he says mystery... That's the idea that he has here. He uses it here in Romans 16. He used it in Romans 11. Uh, He talks about the mystery of the rapture. Uh, Not known before. And then he says, I tell you a secret. I tell you what has not been known. I tell you a mystery that we all will not die. Some of us will be living here when Christ comes back and He will grasp us and take us with Him. Harpazo, and that's rapio, or rapture, and so that is a rapture biblical definition there. He takes us up forcefully, thank the Lord. I look forward to that day. I'd love to be alive, and he'd take me then. But anyway, he's got planned, is perfect, that's the way he's designed, that's great. Wouldn't you guys like to be a part of that, though? Uh Let's make a prophecy. He's going to do that. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's right. For sure. Okay. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Uh, we're still on mystery. And I tell you, that's what holds me up here. You know, I thought I'd just fly through this. And so here we are. We're looking up verses to support mystery. You see, mystery. I always like a good mystery. Just pick up the Bible and let it be revealed to you, right? Ephesians 3, verse 4. By referring to this, by what is it? Well, you back up in verse 3. Do you see the word mystery on there? Mystery. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight. When you read, you can understand God's insight. Did you know that? Yes. Into the mystery of Christ. Oh, that is cool. Which in other generations was not made known. It was concealed to the sons of men as it has now been revealed. What was concealed is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To the writers, he made it known and then they, were, they wrote it and then it was preached and the people then became knowledgeable about it to be specific. What is it? What is it? That the Gentile are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Ah! We take that for granted, but... Be joyous about it. We got in a part of it. We got grafted into the tree. That's what he told us last week, or at least we were told that as we read it, right? Last week. Okay, so uh we, we move on. I'm just telling you, this is something new. It's something exciting, but yet it's still something that really had been told in the Old Testament. But it was not revealed yet in that sense. Mystery in the New Testament. Now you get that. Go back to your Romans 11, verse uh, 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed. I want you to be informed, but really he puts it in a negative way. I do not want you to be uninformed or Another word for that, and you probably have a translation maybe that might say ignorant, which is accurate, uninformed also is, I will get to the Greek word, it really is agnostic or agnosis, agnostic, people are proud to go around saying I'm an agnostic, (laughs) I'm an agnostic, I really am, hey you may be a Christian but I'm an agnostic. No, there's, yeah, you're an idiot. You are ignorant. Now, I would never say that to an individual, but I'm thinking, well, biblically, that's really what they're ignorant. That means ah means no, and gnosis means knowledge. There is no knowledge on this issue here. I don't want you to have no knowledge about this mystery. In other words, he's saying, I want you to have knowledge about this. I don't want you to be uninformed. He wants them to know about Israel and God's plan for the future. Does he have a plan for them? Let's don't write them out because if you do, you're in danger of being taken out of the tree. You now, if you're God's elect, He's not going to make you lose salvation. But there is a, a, a very much informative word there that we need to take heed to. It's a warning. In case you be lifted up and high and lifted up over this, over Israel, I want you to recognize God's plan. I'm just trying to be faithful to the Word. If I was to be anti-Semitic and it told me biblically to do that, then we would have to be that way. But that really goes against God's character and his nature. It goes against election and choice and everything else. So when you see this and you grasp it, you recognize, my, what a plan God has. We have a problem in the church today. Debated so many brothers who say God's done with Israel. i told you that before. Christian, take heed. This very prophecy that we have right here. Paul is saying it. He's made it clear already up to this point and he makes it even more clear in case it wasn't clear with the olive tree and the grafting in. And to those guys, they would know, especially in the Mediterranean world, they know all about olive trees. Hey, I love those olive trees because we get olive oil from Italy and from all over the Mediterranean. It's where most of it can come from and it's the best. but we've been put into the tree, but we have no reason to boast. Now, what he says here, and that's really what he means here, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. I don't even have to define that there, do I? He's already talked about that. You wouldn't be having your own wisdom uh, in your own estimation. Oh, man, I know all about that stuff. I know about it. You know, uh, That's your own estimation, right? To be wise in that way. And then he says this, There's been a partial hardening that has happened to Israel. A partial hardening. Partial hardening. Let's take heed to that. Uh, There's two parts to this. This mystery specifically is this. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That means God has hardened the nation of Israel. But it's not forever. And then he's saying all Israel will be saved. Whenever the Gentile time is done, then he will go back to the nation of Israel and work with him like he always did. And there's only one way of salvation. There's only one people of God. Okay, please get that. Because a lot of dispensationalists, and not all of them, but a lot of them will say that there are two peoples, there's two ways of salvation. There's one people... But there are different nations. And I could go and prove that. I'm not going to do that today. It's not my purpose. Nations are going to be in the kingdom. Why wouldn't they be? God meant it to be that way. He makes us different. There are different colors. There's different varieties. Look at all the world today. You look out into uh, the just the universe. You look up in space. You look at earth. You, you You see trees, different kinds of trees, different kinds of animals. Some of them are funny and some of them are dangerous. You know, they all have a purpose. God is a God of variety. He is a God of joy. He loves colors. He loves variety. He loves different things. And that's the way He's made all of us. We're all different, but yet we're all one people in Christ, right? So, I don't have any problem at all with there being nations in the future. And so, what he's saying that there is a hardening and then there will be God turning back to them. He will deliberately, after he deliberately turns to the Gentiles, turns away from Israel, and we're in that time right now. Matter of fact, if you really look at it, uh, 70 AD would be one way, but you can go back to the Babylonian judgment on the city of Jerusalem and Judah. There was a hardening right there, wasn't there? And really, the time of the Gentiles actually was kind of there too. And I'll give a scripture in a, in a moment dealing with that in, in Matthew, Matthew twenty-four, fourteen. But um, he's going to turn to the Gentile, then he'll turn back to them. I, I've said that several times. But this explains what, what's happening to the Jew today. What's happening to the Gentile? And there will be a certain time whenever he says until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until. That means there's going to be a certain time period when finally he goes to them. And some of my favorite expositors I find it very encouraging even though they were very, very amillennial. They could not twist God's word here like many of their colleagues who they looked up to. As they saw this being very plain and clear, they couldn 't go against the hermeneutics, the rule of scripture interpretation, Martin Lloyd Jones being one of them, um, also we can uh, Robert Haldane and we get many other other people that come from that historical period, and you come to find out Jonathan Edwards even believed in a millennium. Maybe a little bit different than the way we might interpret it today, but even that, he saw a place for Israel. We're going against the grain of a lot of giants that are there, even though there are a lot of giants who would skirt this issue. They'd rather not talk about it. Uh, So there is a deliberate turning to the Gentiles. He leaves Israel in darkness. He blinds them. He blinds them by doing this he takes his hands off and lets the natural mind do what it does. And so many of them not only became agnostics, but today they are atheists in Israel today and say, how can God ever bless them because they're atheists and agnostics? Well, see, such were some of us. <laughs> the fact of the matter is there's nobody good and they have to be delivered from whatever they are. So, But the blindness... It's where God just, rather than restraining things, lets it go. And since really for 2,000 years, there has been a hardening. You say, what's the partial hardening? That means this hardening is limited. And it also means out of that time period, there are elect people who are Jews who are being saved. Even to this day, for 2,000 years there has been Paul was one of those. He was not a Gentile, but he, became a Jew. he was a Jew who became a Christian. And as he took it out to the Gentiles, then many of them became into the fold. But Jews were being saved at the same time they have been all the way to now. Now that's an elect remnant. I want you to take notice. The remnant is not what's being talked about where we are dealing with this issue. It is now the nation of Israel, which we all know too well, actually exist. It's a country, it's a nation, we know where it's at, it's in the same place it always was, the same kind of people that are there, they're very Jewish. And Jews who are saved are remnant, but uh, this partial hardening, uh, you know, in that sense, but it's not a full hardening, and it's not a hardening that is finally, it's over. It is temporary. If you want to call thousands of years, <laughs> temporary. But with God, a thousand years is as a day. He's not bound by time at all. He is an eternal God. So the partial is the nation was partly blind, even though remnants is saved. It's temporary. Israel was set aside temporarily, partially, so that we could come into the fold. This is God's plan. I didn't make it up. Until the fullness of the Gentiles. What's that? Until a specific point in time where God says, Okay, I have the Gentiles that I have elected and now have called. That time is now done. All the Gentiles that I elected, that's done. Now I turn back to the nation of Israel. And I'm going to save them. Save the nation." And he says the fullness of the Gentiles. The Greek word there, and I'm using a lot of Greek words today. hope it's not messing you up. It's kind of neat, though. Pleroma. You ever heard of that? Uh, English word is kind of related to that. But it means a completion of a number. Completion. The fullness of the Gentiles. It's come to its completion. Now, turn to Luke. Chapter 21, 24 and we will get Jesus Himself speaking here about the end of the days. Luke 21, 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Play Roma. They will be captured, trampled underneath. They will be underneath countries. And really that started after the time of Babylon, whenever they came back. They were never really they were never the, under their own rule. They were under the Babylonians then. And then the, the, uh, we think of the Medes and the Persians. Then the Greeks came along and they were underneath them and then the Roman Empire. And then 70 AD as a whole destroyed Jerusalem. Many of the Jews were killed. Many of them just got out like many of them had left. Diaspora had already happened. Even when Paul was writing, when Peter was writing, uh, scattered throughout all the world. And uh, that means to scatter seed uh, throughout scattered... uh, Diaspora, and they are among the nations, so the total fulfillment of that is at that time. Uh, at the Babylonian time, really, it was basically one empire, one nation, Babylon, and they were either killed by them or they were taken back to Babylon, and as a result, we know God used the, uh, the next one to come along to be taken back to uh, Jerusalem and their country, and they got that kicked back into gear, but they were always underneath the Gentiles. What time period do we live in right now today, 2022, the times of the Gentiles? It's not fulfilled yet, is it? It's not fulfilled. It will be. So it's future. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look in Matthew 24, 14. And again, end times prophecy here. So uh, Luke kind of used that of saying, okay, like the Babylonian time period they were scattered, and then uh, 70 A.D., they were definitely scattered all over the place. And then even at the just, uh, you know, you, you think of a lot of that being fulfilled in different time slots there. 24 verse 14, Jesus giving a prophecy about the kingdom to come and all the things that's going to happen before that. It says in 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached, proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Then the fulfillment of the Gentiles will be, and that's where he turns back to the Jew. And of course, you can see in Revelation, Where there is the two witnesses, you also have then the 12,000 from each tribe, known as the 144,000 Jews. God graphically gives you the tribes that they come from. Uh, We cannot spiritualize that at all. That's not the church there that's talking about Israel and the tribes and the. 144,000 screaming evangelists that would be like the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? And so that's where he turns back and then we see Israelites, the elect, becoming believers. Christ comes back near that same time. And so we've looked at Luke, we've looked at Matthew, Jesus talks about it. Let's look in Acts 15. Acts 15 is the first church council. And you say, what's that? Well, they had a little difficulty in the church, and all uh, oh, the church had to come together because they were disagreeing on something. That sounds like the body of Christ. They sure disagree in a lot of things. You know what? It's okay. We're all learning the truth. And it takes others to help us know these truths. And we need to get together. We've, it's great to have the early church and all the writings that they have. Some of them protecting the deity of Christ. Some of them protecting the incarnation of Christ. Which we celebrate as the body of Christ on Christmas, Right? The incarnation, the deity of Christ, all of those things that make it vital. We cannot disagree upon them, so the church gets together. And let's word this and make sure that people don't come out of here with different ideas of who Christ is and who God is. Let's make sure we have that, so we have those writings for like 2,000 years, the early church fathers, beginning right in the first, late first century, in the second century, into the third century, and but right here is the first church council. And you know what they're saying? The Jews. The, the gospel comes to who first? The Jews, and then to the Gentiles. Gentiles are starting to come in because Peter had gone in, in Acts chapter 10. He'd gone to some Gentiles. And he gave them the gospel, and they became believers. Wow, that was really uh, kind of new to Peter. The rest of the apostles, they said, what are we going to do now? All these Gentiles, they're part of the church too. There's some things they're doing that I'm not sure is right, and there's some things they're not doing. You know, they're not being circumcised. And to be a Jew, you had to be circumcised. So to be in the church, you got to be circumcised. And they're saying, wait a minute. Well, I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. So here's their disagreement. And so We pick it up in Acts 15, verse uh, 12. Does that, does that setting help you guys now? Okay. That took long enough. All the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul. What teachers, boy! As they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the... Gentiles, that's the topic for the day there they were having. After they had stopped speaking, James, now he is the half brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the elder of the elders there in Jerusalem now, as a lot of the apostles are going out. And uh, here he speaks and he says, Brethren, listen to me. Would they have great respect for him? He's become a believer in Christ after the resurrection. He was convinced because he saw him. And he goes, how can I deny that? He hated him before. All of a sudden he became a believer. Now he says this. He takes over. Simeon, and that's Simon, or Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Now, Peter has already discussed that, and it's true, you know, that's what he's saying. With this, the words of the prophets agree. He says, I'm going to tell you something. This is told in the Old Testament. The prophet said this. And he says, just as it is written, here's the fully brother of the Lord, saying, here's what the Old Testament says, After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. This is about Israel. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. There's a mystery that is right there telling it. It was revealed back then, but people didn't get it. Paul later says, I've got a mystery that's already been revealed. Jew, Gentile, God's going to go back to the Jew. And this is told by who? The brother of Christ, half-brother. So the fullness of the Gentiles, folks, that's a great event. I'm here to tell you that that could possibly be in our time. I'm not going to say it is, but I will say it could possibly be. I think even Paul knew it could possibly be during his lifetime as he looked for the Lord's coming. It's a mystery, which means it's been revealed. Israel would be set aside partially and temporarily until God turns from Gentiles to redeem. His people as a nation. And that's part one. The mystery. Verse 25 it was. Now we go back to Romans. 11, 26, and 27. I know we probably all know this, but did not it neat to see it very clear above us of what happened in history and then how the early church saw that we were supposed to come into this like this. But yet, he also understood God's going to come back to us as a nation. By the way, they were still a nation and most of the people were that were in the church at that time were the Jews. But Gentiles are coming in very rapidly and the early church was going, wow, The early, the, the Jewish Christians... This is phenomenal. Listen to the things, all the things, the miracles and everything that went on out there in the Gentile land. And so the Jews were not to put on certain rules and laws that were not meant for the Gentiles to do. Now, all Israel will be saved. It says that's in verse 25, right? Or or, or as in 26, but backing up, he winds it up here. And so, because of that, all Israel will be saved. And he says, it's been written this way, the Deliverer will come in Zion, from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Israel. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is not the remnant. The remnant has already had their sins taken away. But he's talking about Jacob, the them that are enemies that he's going to use here in another verse. Do you see? It's the nation. You can't avoid that. That's why I'm so glad to see Martin Lloyd-Jones come to that point, who is so much in all mill, and still yet say, I can't deny it. There is a time that's going to happen. Now, he couldn't say it was going to be the time when Christ comes back. Or at the very end time, because you see all that stuff, to most of it's already over. It's been done. Everything has been fulfilled. Well, actually, how about the times of the Gentiles? Has that been fulfilled yet? What do we do with that? I think they have quite a problem here. So, that's why I say it's very encouraging when I see all millennial people say, no, no, this is the nation Israel. Very good expositors, and I go, thank you. It says here in 25, or 26, so all Israel will be saved. All Israel where the blindness in part is happening. I mean, some people are the remnant and being saved, so there's room for a remnant, but he's saying that's partial, that's now. You've got the remnant now, but later there's going to be Israel. The time will come when all the nation of Israel, not just some elect Jews, not just a future remnant, but all is opposed to not at all. So, you know, like he's not saying not all Israel will be saved. That's a remnant then, isn't it, right? But here he's saying all Israel. The nation itself will be grafted in as we talked about last week, and that's dealing with the uh, the partial... or uh, Jews, Gentiles in the tree, and, and then we are grafted in there, and then they are grafted in. Uh, what do we have here... Uh, the whole point of his analogy here is, uh, of course, uh, of the olive tree that we had looked at is being taken that way. Now what Paul does is he said, just as it is written. Have you seen that quite often? I think every message that we've given, Romans 9 through 11, as when we've had to go back and see where that quote was from. Why well, is he using that quote? So here we are. It's taken out of Isaiah 59. 20 and 21. Paul is brilliant as he knows the Old Testament. He takes something that is concealed and he reveals it to us. 59, 20 and 21. A Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression and Jacob declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord my spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from your mouth of your offspring. I'm going to cut there because Paul kind of did. What he's doing is saying there's going to be a deliverer coming from Zion. Who's the deliverer? That's Christ, right? Uh, uh, deliverer is uh, uh, Goel. Goel. It's delivered. It means uh, a strong kinsman. A kinsman redeemer. The book of Ruth you had a kinsman, redeemer in there that was representing in topology of Christ. A deliverer who avenges a weaker friend. One who comes as a strong kinsman to avenge the weaker friend. That's the idea. Now, we looked at our Isaiah passage, didn't we? Redeemer, Zion, uh, Jacob covenant, all those are key words that Paul pulls right out of Isaiah. He's been quoting Isaiah all along, plus many others. Okay, now, let's go and see this same theology and see where, okay, Dennis, I think you're just misinterpreting Paul here somehow. Uh, I I think that uh, he's just saying something that is just spiritual. Go back to uh, Jeremiah 16, Verse 14 and 15. Jeremiah 16, 14 and 15. What do we have? We have a a backup here that goes right along with this whole theology that Paul is presenting. Verse 14, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but... As the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north, not Egypt, but from the land of the north, and from all countries where He had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. And you can say, well, he's talking about a prophecy of what's going to happen when Babylon comes. Babylon takes them takes them back to Babylon. They go all over the nation, all over the world. Uh... Not really. It was under Babylon. That's where they are. And you look at other scriptures, and find out that's where they were at. Uh, and then they came back home from there. But maybe some of them escaped and went out to different places. But as a whole, do you see what he's saying there? There's going to be a time when they went up north. They go up to Russia. Did you know they are coming by the uh, cargo loads of, of planes out of Russia back to Israel? They have been for uh, decades now. All over Europe, and of course some of them came over here to America, they're, they're scattered everywhere, and of course people in Europe didn't want them, oh no, you, you, you guys, you get them out of here, we don't want them. Uh, even though they brought great blessings to a tremendous amount of people because of their intelligence that they had, that God had given that gift. Uh, technology and what have you. Now let's go to Jeremiah 32, verse 36. And we see again, Jeremiah says something that is along the same lines. 32, verse 36. Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon, by sword, by famine, and by pestilence there you have Babylon mentioned and that's with the time of Jeremiah behold I will gather them out of all the lands which I have driven them in my anger and in my wrath and great indignation I'll bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety says yeah they go to Babylon they'll return they will also be be scattered all over the world I'll bring them back Uh, we can take that all the way down but uh Hosea 1:10 What happened to them? Well, they were a people who became not a people. That can be applied to us Gentiles too, but in Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 Yet the number of the sons of Israel well, it will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of a living God. When God brings them back, they'll be the sons of the living God. Verse 21 through 23, same chapter. I will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens. They will respond to the earth, and on earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine, to the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. I'll say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they will say, You are my God. Zechariah chapter 12. And just before the timing of of Christ's second coming, You get this, in verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David, whenever they've been brought back, most of them are atheists, they'll be atheists for quite some time, and then he's going to pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me, whom they have pierced, they will mourn for him, as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn, and that will be great mourning, In Jerusalem, like the morning of Hadadrim on the plain of Megiddo. Okay, right there, verse 13, verse 1. That day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. This is whenever he does what Daniel chapter 9:24 says, when sin and iniquity will be taken from them. And here we have it, here in 13 and 14. I can tell you what time this is. In verse 14, a day is coming for the Lord. The spoil taken from you will be divided among you, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. This is Zechariah. This is during, after the time of Babylon. So it's not speaking about that time. He'd say, well, it's the Romans. It's the Romans. He gathered all the nations. Well, the Romans are the Romans. They, were really, uh, they weren't really, they were necessarily all the nations. But let's, let's give that to you for a moment. Then I'll take it away from you. The city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled. But the rest of the people, Israelites, will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. What time period are we getting here? In that day, that same day of the Lord, in verse 1, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east. This is a physical place. Yeah, that's right. It's a real place, on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. Half a mountain will move toward the north, the other half toward the south. You'll flee that valley. Okay, this is during the time of Christ's second coming. That's when most of this happens. Or just before. It's the day of the Lord, which can mean a few years even. A lot of things are happening. Wow. Wow scatter my people, I'll bring them back, and then after he brings them back, he does what uh, Ezekiel, in chapter 36, talks about making a covenant with him, Jeremiah 31, brings him out of the nations, it's a promise that he can't break, my, I'm telling you, all those prophecies become fulfilled very, very quickly there, and it's coming to pass. Um, i don 't think i 'm going to go to this passage when you say all Israel are you saying every last single one of them it uh, there 's a lot of uh, studies done on this disagreements amongst people. Could it be there' be some Jews that are really not elect? Yeah, I believe there could be Ezekiel I think twenty starting at verse thirty three uh, i don 't have time to really explain it, but there's going to be every people are going to pass under the rod, and it 's very possible that the very majority of a, a great number a tremendous amount most of the nation of Israel will pass under that rod he redeems them, they show that they 're true, but there could be rebels there that will be purged out. Maybe they're the people that are not allowed to even come back to the land. Even though they're Jews, they're Israelites, it seems that it's like a sheepfold. You have a shepherd, and as the sheep come into the fold, they have to pass under the rod. And that's a sheep and goat, kind of a judgment. And so the ones that are true come on in that are His. I am the shepherd, I know my sheep. The shepherds knew personally their sheep. The sheep knew the shepherd. The shepherd, you know, had a call for each sheep, and that's near and dear to us. We are sheep. In this case, you get goats and sheep mixed together, and you have the rod. And the, so the true sheep come in. And they know their shepherd, and they come into the fold. That's the idea that Ezekiel is using pass under the rod. So I will stress this, the word all there is not just a remnant because that's where our millennial friends that really want to say it's not the nation will do that. And it wouldn't make sense with our text, with what has been already here and with what is rest to be said... About this, and uh, so therefore, we know he's already been doing that. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 32, he speaks of a covenant. I'm getting this rather rapidly now. You'll know that we are getting near the end of that. We are in Romans 11, right? He talks about a covenant, and uh, he is a covenant keeper, a promise keeper. He says the sins will be taken away in verse 27. That's part of the covenant. In Isaiah 27, 9, that's where he quotes this. And I think we probably read Isaiah 27, 8, and 9 earlier. But we'll go back there and we'll see a semblance to what that is also. Isaiah 27, 9 says, Therefore, through this, Jacob's iniquity will be forgiven. Israel's sins will be forgiven. Uh, and then, like I said earlier, Daniel 9, verse 24 through 27 gives that whole scenario where their sins are taken away. Paul makes a quote from Isaiah. Paul says it I want to take away their sins. We as Christians have already had our sins taken away. Amen. The point is that salvation is an absolute necessity for the nation of Israel. And I'm making that point, and I'm making it very boldly because I have everything to stand on right here. It's not my opinion, but it's through Old Testament passages. It's what clearly Paul has said, 9, 10, and 11, all the way through. They are designated as a nation, as a Jacob, as an Israel. It's an absolute necessity because God promised it. He said it. And how can we glorify a God who doesn't keep His word? That's what covenant comes down to. It means He lied about Israel and all those great promises. Well, no, He fulfills it through the church. Well, he fulfills it through the church. He fulfills it through the nation of Israel What's what he's going to do at the end. And they will be one people. They'll be brought into that same group of people. What about the nation? Well, this is what He's got planned. God is a God of integrity and that's what is challenged here. His whole integrity is challenged when we erase Israel. Last point, number three, already said covenant. He says in verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, the good news, they're enemies for your sake. They don't like you. As a whole today, the Jews don't like Christians, but there's a lot of things that they do like about because there are a lot of Christians who support them. But there are a lot of Christians they do not like because those Christians are the very ones saying... God is done with you. And so they, they know that rhetoric. And as a whole, they don't like us. But they do know that we have done a lot of things for them and we are very conservative. And so we'd be glad to, to pray for them. We'd be glad to give them the Gospel. But they're enemies to us from the standpoint of the good news. They were enemies all the way back to the time of Christ. Through the apostolic era, they were enemies. They chased Paul down. They were Judaizers, right? But from the standpoint of God's choice, and there is the whole point, the very people who speak about election and sovereignty of God, who proclaim that, amillennial people usually are the ones, and by the way, when I say all amill, Roman Catholicism is all amill too, so I need to be very careful. That's where most of that was gotten from the Roman church, millennial. The early church fathers were not all millennial as a whole. They were millennial. A thousand year millennial kingdom. And they spoke about it and they said about it, so I'm not uh, going to hold that back. That's just truth. That is, is written down. We can see that. I could give you names upon names. But what it's saying that he has an election and reformed people love that word elect. So if He elected us that were not a people and and we didn't deserve it, why couldn't He all the more have an elect group of people that are not just a remnant, but now huge numbers, a nation to save? He can save a whole Nineveh, a whole city. He can sure save His people Israel. And that's why we have to be very pronounced on this. I think Paul had to be uh, very up front, as he's saying, much more up front than I am here today. That's for sure. That's what Paul's saying. God's choice. For the sake of the fathers. They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Who's he saying to the fathers? Who are they? Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. I've got scriptures that you can go to, Exodus, Kings, it's all over the place. The fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The Jewish people, that race, the very early He made promises to them and he cannot break it for that nation. The last thing to be said, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's why I say, if somebody believes in grace, how can they say Anything different than, wow, isn't that just like God? To save people who are not deserving of it at all. Because we know about it. We were that same way. If you did nothing to get it, you can do nothing to lose it. Hallelujah. It's grace. Grace Community Church, do you believe in that kind of grace? Amen. The grace gifts of God and the calling of God, it's the same term as election. We take pride in that word, election. Pride in that it's God's work. That's the only pride we can do because it gives Him glory because it says that we didn't do anything. He did. He can never change this plan. The word here that says and the calling of God are irrevocable or without repentance, I do believe it might say in another text, it's, means he, it means He will never regret. He will never change His mind on that. The gifts, the, the calling, the election, grace cannot be changed. So those who He chose will always be His for eternity. That we shout out because He's proven it to us. And we can say, well, He hasn't lost Israel. He's not going to lose Israel because His word says this, so why would He lose us? He can't. And He can't with them. Do you think Paul made his point very clear? His argument is so thorough. I come so short of the way that God has put this, but I will say His promises should make us shout for joy. Mm -hmm. And that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? And that's our hope. God will never change His mind in what He's said here. He's had this from all along, going back before the foundation of the world. This was His plan. I say thank you, Lord. You are a great God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Israel, and you're showing, and you will show ultimately, that you are a God of grace that we cannot understand. And I know that's a stumbling block. Christ was a stumbling block. Your word is a stumbling block. But whenever you start revealing, whenever we remove our prejudices, We see things that we couldn't see before, and now the blinders have been taken off, and now we see. And that's what we want to tell the lost world, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, I once was blind, but now I see. In Jesus' name we proclaim this. And Amen.